The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. It is a great joy to welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this beautiful fall morning. Whether you are here in person at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, listening live over the radio at 90.9 WBUR, or over internet signals at WBUR.org, or listening later to the podcast at bu.edu chapel, we are glad that you have joined us. We welcome to the pulpit today the Reverend Dr. Robert Cummings Neville, who served as Dean of Marsh Chapel from 2003 to 2006, after more than a decade as Dean of the School of Theology. Professor Neville is presently teaching philosophy, theology, and religion at the School of Theology. Our current Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his greetings as he is away this week, and we look forward to his return next Sunday. Now, let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
join me in our opening prayer. Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. As we gather in awe and reverence, we come seeking to know God, that in the light of one who knows us most deeply, we might come to know ourselves. That is to say, we come seeking our vocation, that which we are called to be and do in the world. We would catch a glimpse of a vision of that way of being to which we are invited out of an infinity of paths and possibilities. But how can we see, how can we know, if our vision is clouded and we deceive ourselves? As we pray in silence during the singing of the Kyrie, let us confess our wrongdoings and missteps and offer them to God, in whose light we may see light. Beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks, Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 1, and verses 4 through 7. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in the reading of the psalm and the singing of the antiphon. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds among mortals. He turns the seas in dry land. They pass through the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him who's rule, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the, on the nations. Let the rebellious not exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. Try us so You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let the people ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. And you have brought us out into a spacious place. Now please stand as you are able for the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Glory to you, O Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, 
Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Five things are ultimate in this life. That we be just, that we become whole, that we learn to love, that we present ourselves for judgment, and that we be grateful for all of this. Justice, wholeness, love, an identity that means something, and gratitude to the Creator. Wouldn't it be simpler if there were only one thing that is ultimate in defining our lives? But it's not. Our religious life becomes skewed if we focus only on one to the exclusion of the rest. Jesus was a teacher of justice and righteousness. Remember the Sermon on the Mount where he said, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some people, however, reduce Christianity to only the moral project, turning it into a complex set of moral injunctions defining a way of life. The liberal church has sometimes reduced Christianity to the social gospel, leaving all the rest aside because it seems selfish or superstitious or too hard. Morality, especially social morality, is ultimately important. That without which heaven is closed, but it is not the only ultimate. Jesus was also a healer with specialties in dermatology, as in our gospel for today, gynecology for the woman with the flow of blood, ophthalmology for dealing with blindness, ear, nose, and throat for dealing with the deaf and the dumb, orthopedics for healing cripples, crisis intervention for those on the brink of death, and most especially psychiatry for casting out internal demons that destroy the wholeness of the soul as well as the body. Who of us has not been ultimately concerned for healing body or soul? 
Jesus knew that the healing of body and soul go together, as we have rediscovered in modern science after centuries of thinking them separate. Sometimes the religious life has been reduced to the quest for wholeness only. Without justice or love, the reconciliation of life's meaning and unconditioned gratitude for the whole darkling plane of existence. The search for wholeness can turn into a selfish spiritual individualism. Justice, wholeness, Jesus was the guru of love, of course. He said the great commandment is to love God with all one's heart, mind, soul, and strength, and one's neighbor as oneself. According to John's gospel, he gave his disciples a new commandment, namely to love one another as he had loved them, that is, with the special kind of love that Jesus had. Moreover, he said that we should love even our enemies. And this is not to suggest that our love will turn them into friends, We should love them even when they remain enemies. Love is an extraordinary power. Those with flawed justice still can be great lovers, as can those whose lives personally are broken and who do not achieve much in life, or whose supposed gratitude for existence is shot through with dark patches of cynicism. But sometimes the emphasis on love is an excuse to sit out when justice calls, to leave our broken lives unhealed, to hide from who we really are, and to refuse to face the failures and the suffering for which we are supposed to be grateful. Without the other ultimates, Christian love can become sentimentality, justice, wholeness, love. For much of the Christian tradition, the chief significance of Jesus is that he allows us to come to God as redeemed sinners. Second Timothy says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly explaining the word of truth. Now, this would be no problem if we weren't sinners. Jesus is presented as the atonement for our sins, a theme especially important for St. Paul. No matter how righteous we try to be, we still fail at justice. No matter how much we invest in our own wholeness and make serious progress, we are still broken. No matter how fervently we strive to love, we still are imperfect in love. No matter how much we achieve in life, we fall short. No matter how grateful we are for our very existence, we cannot help wishing that we'd been born richer or smarter or better looking and surrounded by a more supportive cast of characters. Therefore, we would be ashamed to present ourselves before God 
as the mere fact of who we are. This shame leads to estrangement. Estrangement to self-hate and self-hate to a demonic negativity that further corrupts our justice, breaks our wholeness, infects our lives with viral bitterness, and turns gratitude to resentment. Failure to accept ourselves begets demons that ruin everything. So deep is sin that redemption is costly. And the Christian tradition says that this cost is paid by God himself in the person of Jesus, who is of the family of God. Now, I don't know how you all sit with all those bloody symbols of atonement and redemption. We liberals don't much like them. But if they do not grip us somehow, we cannot acknowledge the abysmal difficulty of finding ultimate meaning in life with as much failure as we, in fact, bear. Justice, wholeness, love, meaningfulness. Now we can sense something of the manifold hurdles to be leapt in the race for unconditional gratitude of existence. Not only is the harsh cosmos unscaled to human affairs, not only are most people indifferent or hostile to us in their own self-interests, not only does our biology wear out and life leave us, but at best we attain to a life with our continued injustice, brokenness, compromised loves, and failed identity where they're simply accepted and left in place. We are commissioned to go on with life as if those faults did not hold us back. So gratitude for existence is easy when skies are blue, but skies are often dark, and underfoot is the fiery pit. And the way to the other shore is a gossamer path of hope spun out of signals of God's unconditioned love. God's love is the unbounded, infinite, arbitrary fecundity of creation, oblivious as to morals, indifferent as to whether we are whole or broken, so massive as to trivialize our own loves and accepting of all we are, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. That's God's love. But how do we know this divine love? What signals get through to us that God's creation should buoy us up on cresting waves of joy throughout the glorious storms of life. One of the mysteries in all religions is that there is something ecstatically charismatic in their founders and founding stories. Buddha and Confucius were good teachers, but there was something about their persons that transformed the teachings 
into authority with the power to restore justice, promote wholeness, cultivate compassion, and give meaning. Moses was reputed to shine so brightly after Sinai that he had to wear a veil so as not to blind the people. And Jesus was lovely beyond compare. Perhaps not in his actual lifetime, but enough then that his memory was so transformed that for subsequent generations he was the loveliest imaginable, most attractive, most erotically charged signal of God's overwhelming, unconditional, creative, and accepting love. More than a teacher of righteousness, a healer, lover, and redeemer, Jesus was and is for us an erotic sign that can arouse us to an ecstatic, unmeasured, passionate gratitude toward God despite it all. Like Jesus, we can be transfigured. We can chant, grow us, God, in Jesus' image, icon of your loveliness, radiant in his fetching visage, rousing us to holy lust, stimulate our loving ardor, change our greed to love's fire hue, feed us passion's excess, for we're loveliest when loving you. This love to which we are drawn in the image of Jesus is only glimpsed from the corner of the eye when looking at his righteousness, wholeness, love of others, and redemption of our lives. Jesus' love glazes back to ordinariness if we look at it directly. Its image in us feeds on excessive passion in sometimes frightening ways that trivialize justice, wholeness, love of others, and personal redemption. In the gratitude it shapes, we glimpse the transfiguration that Jesus and the mystics undergo, and that we sometimes feel rumbling in our inner parts. The highest joys that religion enjoins are in this transfigured ecstasy, transfigured ecstasy, the fifth ultimate, true gratitude. Have you glimpsed it? Well, now, we cannot take too much excessive passion before lunch. Come back down to earth and think about our gospel for this morning. Jesus healed ten lepers and sent them off to the priest who could declare them clean according to Levitical law. All ten were made whole, at least dermatologically. But one of them realized that more had happened than becoming whole and turned back in gratitude, praising God and thanking Jesus. He spiritually engaged two ultimates, wholeness and gratitude. And the latter is more important. So what was wrong with the other nine? 
with whom Jesus was duly provoked. It was their demons, I think. Jesus said that what distinguished the grateful former leper from the others was his faith. Now, what does faith mean here? All ten had faith that Jesus could cure them and cried to him for mercy. So it was not faith in the sense of belief in Jesus or his powers of healing. Rather, it was a faith that already bordered on gratitude, that saw more in Jesus than his healing powers. It was a faith without the demons of self-hate and estrangement that corrupt the otherwise good things that we do. Jesus' healing of the nine lepers was was incomplete, only skin deep, if you can take the pun. He should have cast out their demons. The grateful former leper had no demons. Most of us are like the nine with demons of negativity and destruction. By demons, I don't mean supernatural spirits of the first century sort, although they're a good symbol for what I do mean, but rather the semi-organized tumbles of emotional forces that lead from shame to self-hate to destructiveness. And most of us have many pockets of such tumbling emotional forces. The demonic tumble is not limited to individuals either. Recent headlines have called attention to the brutalization of gay and other sexual minorities in our righteous American society. Last week, a 30-year-old gay man tortured for hours by nine homophobes just for being gay. The week before, a gay college student driven to suicide by his roommates mocking his sexuality online. Numerous other suicides in the week preceding because of harassments of their sexuality. And we remember Matthew Shepard beaten and hung on a fence to die alone because his murderers believed this is what you should do to gay people. Leviticus 20 says so. In just about every high school and junior high school in this country, gay boys, lesbian girls, and people of ambivalent sexual identity are taunted, beaten, and made to feel unworthy every day. They are made to feel ashamed, to hate themselves, and often to be self-destructive. The suicide rate among minority teens, sexual minority teens, is far above average. But it is others who force those demons on them. A writer in the New York Times called the flaming homophobic bigotry in the churches and synagogues a spiritual malpractice. But it's worse than what she said. It is religious demonry of the highest order. Unfounded shame about sex among good people turning to self-hate projected onto those who are different in sexual identity and transformed into legitimated persecution and destructiveness. 
There are demons in the houses of the holy, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, and the rest, and the saints have not yet prevailed against them. Religious bigotry against sexual minorities, like ethnic bigotry and racism, is a leprous condition whose contagion spreads from sacred writings to doctrine to popular consciousness to the cell phones of the faithful that send out the demons of death and destruction. Would to God we could exercise our demons. So I call your attention to five ultimates about which the Christian traditions learn from Jesus. Justice, wholeness, love of others, redeemed meaningfulness of life, and joyous gratitude for the existence of it all. Together, they define the rich complexity and intensity of the religious life in Christian form. They are problematic for us, however, because of our demons that turn ultimately important endeavors to negativity, distortion, and self-defeat. Much of religious life is struggling with those demons, a deeper brokenness than skin-deep leprosy. Warfare against the demons is at the heart of our spiritual lives. Tom Troger, an old friend who has preached from this pulpit, and Carol Doran, a Boston musician who sometimes works at Boston University, wrote a hymn that is our battle cry today against the demons. A drumbeat, quick step, silence frenzied unclean spirit, cried God's healing holy one, cease your ranting, flesh can't bear it, flee as night before the sun. At Christ's words the demon trembled, from its victim madly rushed, while the crowd that was assembled stood in wonder, stunned and hushed. Lord, the demons still are thriving in the gray cells of the mind. Tyrant voices, shrill and driving, twisting thoughts that grip and bind, doubts that stir the heart to panic, fears distorting reason's sight, guilt that makes our loving frantic, dreams that cloud the soul with fright. Silence, Lord, the unclean spirit in our mind and in our heart. Speak your word that when we hear it, all our demons shall depart. Clear our thoughts and calm our feelings. Still the fractured, warring soul, by the power of your healing, make us faithful, true, and whole. By the power of your healing, make us faithful, true, and whole. May the power of God to overwhelm our shame with joy cast out our demons so that we might pursue justice, wholeness, love, meaning, and gratitude. Like athletes running the race of life with the pristine power that comes from touching ultimate things. Amen.
Please be seated. Let us now take the time to offer our prayers to God. You may sit, stand, kneel, or come to the altar rail as according to your tradition. And now, please join me in singing, Lead Me, Lord. Gracious and holy God, we acknowledge the wounds we share in our society and in ourselves, our brokenness and our disease, for we are one body. God, we ask that you deliver us from fear and ignorance, from indifference and detachment, deliver us. From prejudice and pity, deliver us. From selfish and speedy judgments, God, please deliver us. From shallow and simple answers, Loving God, deliver us. God, we affirm all that is good in each other, our God-given dignity and integrity, our companionship and common pilgrimage. We ask, God, that you inspire us with hope and wisdom, with compassion and involvement. Inspire us. With openness and love, with full and prayerful generosity, inspire us with courage to face the reality and complexity of life. Living God, inspire us with the depth of your love that we bear it on our lips and in our lives. Amen. And now we join together in saying the prayer that your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. My name is Elizabeth Fomby Hall. I am the Director of Hospitality here at Marsh Chapel, and I just want to welcome all of you who are here with us in the nave of Marsh Chapel. And I also want to give a warm welcome to those who might be listening on the radio on WBUR 90.9 FM or later on the podcast. Welcome to Marsh Chapel. The first thing I'd like to direct your attention to is the red pads, which can be found towards the end of each pew, towards the center aisle. If you would just take a few moments to fill those out for us so that we at Marsh Chapel can get to know you better, so that you can get connected to the life of Marsh, and also so that you can get to know the names of those of the folks who are seated next to you. So if you'd fill those out, we'd appreciate it. Uh, Firstly, the fourth annual crop walk will take place Saturday morning, October 16th. If you're interested in participating in that or in donating for the crop walk, I would encourage you to look towards the end of your bulletin for more information about that, or you can contact the servant team at servants at bu.edu. It's October. As you might know, fall and October are quite busy, so we've got Parents Weekend and Alumni Weekend coming up soon. Parents Weekend is first. It's going to take place October 23rd and 24th, and Marsh Chapel has several events for that, including Donuts on the BU Beach with Dean Hill. We have an Inner Strength Gospel Choir concert on the steps of Marsh Chapel. We have an art and architecture tour here in the nave of the chapel, and also a catered luncheon in Barristers Hall. So for more information and details about that, I encourage you to look either to the website or to the bulletin. And we always have coffee hour or potluck. Today is coffee hour after the worship service downstairs in the basement of Marsh Chapel. If you're interested in getting more involved here, this is a great way to learn more about your colleagues and um, just to get some refreshments. So we encourage you to come down after worship for that. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious God, please accept these gifts we give through gratitude. And through these gifts, help us to do justice, paying forward your love to bring reconciliation in this world, to bring wholeness, and through that wholeness, healing, and more perfect love of you and one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of ardor of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.